to thank you for having me here um, over at our church at Grace Fellowship Church, Rexdale. We actually had an elders retreat this past weekend, and so in order for the pastors to be able to focus in on that, we asked John if he would come and bring the word there, and uh, so we decided to do a pulpit swap, and uh, that's why I'm here. Um, I do have to say, this is a bit of a bittersweet moment for me. It is sweet because I think it's been about three years since I was last here uh, to worship with you. It is a little bit of a bitter experience because when I think about the previous softball tournament, your church beat my church 12 nothing. 12 nothing. You know, in, oh, no, 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 Jill, no, no, no. You know, in Christianity, there is an important... Uh, thing called mercy. <laughs> and uh, that was not mercy. So I decided to preach on mercy today. That's not true. I decided to preach on whining. So that's, uh, that was a joke. Actually, it's not a joke. I am preaching on grumbling from Exodus 16. So I want to ask you to, to join with me and let me pray again. Father, I am so very thankful for the opportunity to be with the dear brothers and sisters here at New City Baptist Church. And uh, Lord, we do pray that you would unite our hearts around the truth of the gospel. And Father, we know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So feed us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What's been like 19 months of being in a pandemic? Do you guys remember what it was like before the pandemic hit? Those were simpler times. Uh, maybe that's not exactly true for everyone here in this church, but I think that I can generally say that it was easier back then. Holding church services were easier. Seeing friends and family was easier. Traveling was easier. Uh, life was just a lot easier. You see, that's probably how the Israelites felt when they were in the place called Elim, that's how Exodus 15 ended. Uh, I'm sure that many of you are familiar with this story, but for the sake of context, let me just give you a quick reminder of what's happened so far in the story of Exodus. I mean, God has done some incredible things up to this point. He took an entire nation that was held captive for over 400 years and miraculously brought them out from under their oppressors. He safely delivered them through the Red Sea. He sent the waters crashing down on their enemies. And when they got to the other side of the Red Sea, the Lord satisfied their thirst by changing the bitter waters of Mara into sweet, tasty water. And then shortly after that, they come to a place called Elim. And look in your Bibles there, right at the end of Exodus chapter 15, Exodus 15 verse 27, the very last verse, it says that Elim was a place of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. That sounds quite nice, doesn't it? Considering where they were coming from, considering what they've been through, this place sounds like a little mini paradise. Now, it's not hard to see the hand of God in all of these events. The Lord powerfully saves his people in Egypt. The Lord safely delivers his people through the Red Sea. The Lord miraculously provides for his people in the wilderness of Shur. I mean, this is who God is. He is the God who graciously saves his people and he is worthy of our trust. That's what characterizes God. 
But do you know what characterizes the Israelites through all of this? If there is one thing that stands out about the Israelites in this entire episode, if there is only one word that I could use to characterize the Israelites, it's grumbling. It's their constant complaining and their sinful whining. Every time they're confronted with a new difficulty, gratitude goes out the door and grumbling takes center stage in their heart. I mean, just think about it. In in Egypt, when Moses first asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, do you remember what happened? Pharaoh doubled the workload on the Israelites. And what did the Israelites start to do? They grumbled. Okay, we, we can probably understand that one, right? But the question we have to ask ourselves is, is this a one-time thing with the Israelites? Well, if we consider the story, they get to the Red Sea. This is another obstacle. They have this hostile, angry army behind them. They have this impenetrable obstacle before them with the Red Sea, and they don't see a way out. So what do they do? They grumble. But what does God do? Yet he still delivers them through the Red Sea. And then we get to the other side, and they come to this place called Mara, and they find that the water is bitter. It's so bitter that they can't drink it. Mara actually means bitter. And so what is their response to the bitter water? They grumble. They grumble. In every event, in every episode, in every hardship and trial, the Lord has proven himself to be a sufficient savior. I mean, there have been no shortages of divine miracles of God's grace, but their grumbling is deeply embedded in their hearts. The only place where they don't grumble is in this place called Elim, a place of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. It's meant to give you this sense of comfort and coziness. And so they're not grumbling. They're happy and content. But what happens when the Lord brings them out of their comfort zone and places them once again in difficult circumstances? Well, the people that ought to be characterized by overflowing gratitude is once again characterized by the never-ending grumbling of their hearts. I wonder if you noticed this when Alex was reading the chapter for us. The word grumbling or a variation of the word grumble is repeated 11 times in this entire chapter. And that kind of repetition is meant to provide emphasis. So I want you to pay careful attention as we work our way through this entire chapter and and see what characterizes the Israelites, but then consider what our God is like. So look with me again at verse 1. I'm, I'm reading from the ESV, so uh, I was following along as Alex is reading in the NIV. It's pretty similar, and I think you'll get the point. You can follow along with me in your Bibles. In verse 1, they set out from Elim, okay, that place of 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. They're leaving the comfort zone because God is bringing them out. So they set out from Elim, And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Now, that that timeline there is actually very important. It's only been about a month since they left Egypt. 
And that's important to consider because it hasn't been a long time, which probably means that everything that God has done, all of his incredible miracles, should still be very, very fresh in their minds. But as they continue into the wilderness of sin, verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. These Israelites are, are saying that it would have been better if God did not save us at all. It would have been better if God left us in Egypt where we were eating meat pots and bread to the full, which, when you think about it, probably wasn't true, right? What kind of Egyptian taskmaster would have fed their slaves with meat pots and bread to fill their stomachs? I mean, they were treated like animals for for the past 400 years. You know, the thing that we have to notice here is that when they start talking about the past, there is no remembrance of their slavery and suffering. All they could think about was the meat pots and the bread to the full. They don't recall at all the times that they were beaten and some of them were killed or or, or the fact that they were working their fingers to the bones. You see, they're not thinking with their heads, they're thinking with their stomachs and in doing so, they idealize the past and become bitter about the present. And so they grumble against two, against their spiritual leaders. I think it's quite interesting to notice that they automatically assume the worst of their leaders. Do you see that? They, they actually believe that Moses and Aaron brought them out into the wilderness so that they would die of starvation after all that Moses and Aaron went through in order to bring them out of Egypt. That's what grumbling does. It distorts reality. They're, they're so focused on their present hardship that they forget their past, but more importantly, they forget their God. Their God who has undoubtedly been with them all along the way. Now, I think as readers of the Bible, we can get to a place like Exodus 16 and be struck by how incredibly foolish and hard-hearted these Israelites are. I mean, come on, Hebrews, what more does God have to do to show you that he loves you and that he is for you? But you know what? The thing that should really strike our hearts is realizing how this story of the grumbling Israelites is a depiction of who we so often are as Christians. It's easy to have a heart of gratitude when you're in your own Elim. But what will you do when you're in a place like the wilderness of sin, a difficult place, a trying place? What will you do when the Lord brings you out of a season of ease and comfort and he brings you into a Covidian wilderness? Will you grumble or will you joyfully trust in God, even if it means being in this wilderness for a long, long time? Maybe COVID isn't a big deal for you personally, but maybe there are other difficulties going on in your life. 
maybe trying circumstances, hardships in family or at work. Are you grumbling or are you joyfully trusting in the Lord? Let me ask you this. Do you believe that God can provide a banquet in a barren land? Friends, there are timeless truths that will never change. God is still sovereign. He is still powerful. And listen, Jesus is still the king today. And that means you don't have to grumble when you're in the wilderness because God has a purpose for you and God will always be present with you and God will provide for you everything that you truly need in order to survive the wilderness. So that's how I want to approach this text. God has a purpose. God will be present and God will provide. First point, God has a purpose. Now, we need to understand that winding through the wilderness for 40 years, which is what actually happens. They're in the wilderness of sin for 40 years, wasn't exactly the quickest way to Mount Sinai. That's where they're going. They're going from Elam to Sinai. And they probably could have made it there in a couple of days or, you know, with, you know, with the size of the group, it probably would have taken a couple of weeks at most. But the Lord had a reason for keeping them in the wilderness for 40 whole years. You see, this wasn't just a physical journey. Hey, Israelites, work on your endurance and stamina. No, no, no. This was a spiritual journey meant to sanctify them in the word of truth and purge the evil from their hearts. Look at how God responded to their grumbling in verse 4. It doesn't say, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain down fire and brimstone. No, no, no. The Israelites are grumbling in verse 3 and then verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. I think this is a beautiful point in the text. Here are the Israelites, they're complaining, and yet God meets their complaint with compassion, and he feeds them with the bread of angels. You know, the psalmist in Psalm 78, verse 25, called this Bread, the bread of angels, the very bread that the angels themselves eat. This is a heavenly gift of food. But that's not the only thing that's going on here. As the Lord provides, he is going to use this moment and this miracle to instruct his people in a lesson of trust and obedience. That's what he means when he says that I may test them. God isn't testing them because he's somehow unsure of how they're going to respond. I mean, this is the omniscient God. The reason why God is giving such detailed instructions, right, for the first five days, gather a day's portion for everyone, and then on the sixth day, you gather a double portion. Those were the instructions. But the reason why he's giving them such clear instructions was that so, was that through this, the Israelites would learn to trust his voice and obey his word. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, 
that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you. And he let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Those are the very words that Jesus himself quoted in his wilderness experience when he was out in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, that is Jesus, answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here is Jesus in his own wilderness experience, and he overcomes the temptations of the devil by what? Trusting in the word of God and obeying the father. And he's calling us to do the same. You see, life is more than just getting your meal three times a day. No, no, no. Life is feeding daily on the word of God. The Lord isn't giving the Israelites these instructions just to make things difficult for the sake of making things difficult. He he is doing heart work here. He is teaching them that life is found by trusting in his word and walking in obedience to his ways. Listen, living through this Covidian wilderness may be a very trying time in your life. Circumstances may be hard. Life is tough. And the comfort you once experienced, that beautiful Elim, is now far behind you. And all you see ahead of you is this treacherous journey through a barren land. Oh, my dear brothers and sisters, be slow to grumble in those times, in this time. Don't lose sight of this truth that God has you here for a good purpose. He has you here and he is doing this awful, often painful, but life-giving surgery. He is exposing the very cancerous sins in your heart and he is teaching you to trust in the hands of the good physician. The path ahead of you may be dreadful, but as Christians, we can always remember that the destination will be delightful. So keep pressing on in faith in the Lord. Now, here's the other thing. The the end goal isn't to simply make you a more trusting and obedient Christian. But it's through your trusting and obeying that you would know God as your Savior and that you would see his glory. Verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know, no, it's a knowledge thing, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. When life is easy like Elam, We can so often lose sight of our need for God. And so in his loving kindness, he often puts us into a kind of wilderness to remind us of our daily need of him. 
I don't want you to lose sight of the reality that being in the wilderness is an opportunity for you to experience the deeper and greater measure of God's grace in your life. Now, here's a warning. Be careful of minimizing the sinfulness of grumbling. Okay, be careful of minimizing the sinfulness of grumbling. Look at how Moses continues the second part of verse 7. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling, listen to this, is not against us, but against who? The Lord. Back in verse 2, we see that the whole congregation of Israel directed their grumbling towards Moses and Aaron. But in reality, the one who was responsible was the sovereign God who was directing their way every step of the way. Which means that if they did not like the circumstances of being in the wilderness of sin, they were ultimately grumbling not against Moses and Aaron, but against God. You know, I think sometimes we can view grumbling and our complaining as a kind of lesser sin, right? It's not, it's not adultery. It's not lying. It's not stealing. It's not murder. It's not any of these bigger sins. But when you actually think about it, the sin of grumbling exposes something very, very wrong in our hearts. It either exposes a lack of faith in God or it exposes a displeasure in God's sovereign rule in our lives. Look, you cannot praise God for his sovereignty in one breath, and then in the very next breath complain about your circumstances. That, my friends, is called hypocrisy. It is inconsistent. The, the, the circumstances may be tough. It may not be what you want it to be, but God has a plan and a purpose to make you godlier and to show you his glory. And that alone is a great reason not to grumble, but to be grateful. Don't grumble because God has a purpose for you in the wilderness. Secondly, don't grumble because God will be present. Verse 9 says, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. I just want to pause there for a moment. Even though the Israelites were whining and complaining and grumbling, God still heard them. And, and he listened and he turned an attentive ear to their whining. I mean, I think you guys have realized I've got three kids. They're from ages zero to six. And when you have three kids in that season of life, things can get pretty chaotic. And, and especially when they're, when they're tired and they lose a sense of self-control, a lot of grumbling comes out, a lot of complaining. And they just start like feeding off of each other. And it's like they're trying to have this collaborated attack on mom and dad. And, and when the whining gets to a certain point, you know, I, I'm tempted to either lose it or I just want to be away, <laughs> just separate myself from them. But thank God that he is a far better father than I am. 
He is far more compassionate. He is infinitely more understanding. And he is in another world when it comes to patience. He hears the grumbling of his children and he invites them near to him. Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Verse 10, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. You see, God doesn't just throw you into the difficult wilderness and say, good luck, pal. Figure it out yourself. No, no, no. He, he is present with you. As a matter of fact, he actually goes before you into the wilderness. When it says that they look toward the wilderness, the picture you get is like they're standing at the edge of the wilderness looking in, basically looking to the next 40 years of their life. And the one who appears before them is God himself. God is actually there ahead of them in the wilderness. You know, a close friend of mine once had a terrifying experience years ago when his son got super, super sick. And his son caught RSV. And uh, if you know anything about RSV, it, it's like a common cold for an adult, but it could be lethal when you're an infant. And his son caught RSV just a few months after he was born. They, got, they went to sick kids, and they actually thought that they were going to lose their son. And by God's grace, the son recovered, and, and he's well now. Praise the Lord for that. But years after that experience, I was talking to him, and he was telling me about what that was like going through um, sick kids and, and watching his son almost die. And, and he said to me, I, I would never want that for anyone else. That, that was a difficult, and, and it was a torturous experience. But I would never want that for anyone else. But, he said, I would never change what happened. And he said that because for him, there has never been another experience in his life where he felt the presence of Jesus so closely in his life. He would never want that to happen again. He doesn't want that to happen to anyone else, but he would never change what happened because he knew Jesus in a unique and close way that he's never known before. God's presence is near. Even in the treacherous wilderness, God is there. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So Christian, take heart. Even though you may be in a wilderness, even though that wilderness may be a long journey ahead of you, you can learn to lean on the grace of God and in his presence because he is there. You know, I think the wilderness experience can so often feel like a lonely place. But when you think about it, it's not so lonely when you consider the reality that God is present with his people, even in the most trying times. Look at what happens next. He hears, he appears, and then he speaks. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Don't grumble because God will be present. 
And here's the third and final point. Friends, don't grumble because God will provide. He will provide. He's not one to make empty promises. He is the perfect and ultimate promise keeper. As soon as he makes this promise to provide meat and bread, look at what happens in verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Let me ask you the question again. Can God provide a banquet in the barren land? Can he really spread a table in the wilderness? Don't miss who did this. It is the bread from the Lord, the God of heaven, and he has given it to you. See, the the provision of meat and bread, or what they would later call manna, is nothing short of supernatural because it comes from God himself. So God's provision is supernatural. God's provision is also perfectly sufficient. Verse 16, this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, which is roughly about two liters. So you know one of those big Coke bottles, two liters, that's an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could. The, the point in this part of the text is that there was no lack in God's provision. No one was stuck wanting more, and no one was stuck wanting less. Everyone had as much manna as they could eat which is a sign that when God provides, he is not one to cheap out on you when when you need a lot of grace and he just gives you a little bit of grace. No, no, when the Lord provides, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. Moses continues giving the Israelites instructions from the Lord. Verse 19, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. No leftovers. Okay, here again is the part of the test. They were given very specific instructions. Whatever they gathered that day was supposed to be eaten that same day. No leftovers, no saving some. They were to wholeheartedly trust in God's supernatural and sufficient providence for each and every day. Verse 20. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stink. I think the NIV says maggots. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. God was calling them to trust in him and obey his every word. He said, I'm going I'm to give you enough manna to eat every day for five days. And on the sixth day, I'm going to give you a double portion but, but, but it's like the Israelites doubted and they got nervous. They're not omniscient. They don't know what tomorrow brings. They're, they're in the wilderness. And as they, 
as they look around and consider their difficult circumstances, their faith in God steadily diminishes and they do whatever they can to survive by their own means. They come up with their own plans and they trust in their own efforts. You see, they're so worried about tomorrow that they take some bread from today, set it aside, and they keep their eyes on it until they fall asleep. Because keeping their eyes on bread that should be there for tomorrow provided them with a sense of security that they would have enough tomorrow. But when they woke up the next morning, their sense of security rotted away along with their bread. Friends, what are the, quote, leftovers in your life? What, what, what's, the, what's the thing that you're keeping your eye on when you go to sleep at night that gives you a sense of security about tomorrow? Are you keeping your eyes on God? Or are you keeping your eyes on the plate of leftover bread produced by a heart that's anxious about tomorrow? If you put your trust in anything else but God, it is only a matter of time before you face the same disappointment the Israelites faced when they saw their stinking bread covered in maggots and worms. God is calling you to trust in his providence day by day so that you would, with worshipful hearts, wake up every morning and sing, His mercies are new every morning. God's grace is sufficient for you every day. The wilderness experience is meant to teach you that. So friends, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't grumble. Trust God and obey his word. We see that his providence is supernatural. His providence is sufficient. And his providence also includes a Sabbath. That means it's a, it's a time to rest, a time to cease and desist from the grind of everyday life. And the Lord God was going to make this possible by providing his people with a double portion on the sixth day. Verse 22. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow, that's day seven, tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. Now what's remarkable here is the, the, the small details of what's going on. Just think about it. What, what happened in the first five days when they saved leftover manna? It would automatically rot and it would stink and it would have worms and maggots the next morning. But, but, but here... This time, the leftovers don't go bad. They bake what they bake. They, they boil what they boil according to God's instructions. And the manna remained edible for the next day. 
You see, this is one of those small details that show us that this provision of manna wasn't some kind of natural phenomenon. No, no, it was the sovereign God who was orchestrating every single thing that was happening here. But unfortunately, not everyone listens. Verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. I mean, you, you would think by now they've learned to trust in God's word, but they don't. And some of them go looking for manna on the seventh day. And as a response, the Lord rebukes them. Verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you, the, the you there is plural, meaning he's talking to all of the Israelites. He's saying, how long will all of you refuse to keep my commandments and keep my laws? You see, this was supposed to be a stinging rebuke to the Israelites. Because it was very similar to how the Lord rebuked Pharaoh in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 10 verse 3, the Lord said to Pharaoh, How long will you, Pharaoh, refuse to humble yourself before me? See, the Israelites were far more similar to Pharaoh than they realized. And as the saying goes, it's easier to take Israel out of Egypt, but it's another thing to take Egypt out of Israel's heart. When the people failed to realize, what the people failed to realize was that God was giving them this Sabbath rest for their own good. He was doing this to do good to his people. Verse 29, see, the Lord has given you people the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Do you remember what Jesus said about the Sabbath to the Pharisees? He said, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man for the Sabbath. In the midst of the wilderness, God was actually gifting his people with rest. And this is one of those things that distinguish God from Pharaoh and the Egyptian taskmasters who made the Israelites work, 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 and work every single day. Now, I, I know people have different views on the Sabbath, so let me just say this. A biblical understanding of the Sabbath begins with the understanding that God provides his people with rest. The problem today is that everyone just seems so busy. There's so much complaining and grumbling about how tired we are because we have a million things to do and so little time to do it. And we forget that the Lord knows our frame. The Lord knows that we're made of dust. We're fragile and we need rest. And so he gives us rest. Look, do you realize that your ability to rest is a demonstration of your trust in God? The world is so hurried and harried, especially in a place like Toronto. People don't know how to stop. I mean, this is the hustle and bustle of the big city. But when we as Christians stop and we come together to fellowship and worship, that is a Christian testimony to the world that we believe God is bigger than the busy burdens of our lives. So friends, learn to rest and trust that God will provide, truly provide everything that you need for life and godliness. 
God's provision is supernatural. God's provision is sufficient. God's provision includes a Sabbath rest. And lastly, God's provision is sustaining. Verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. He's talking about the bread. It, it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and Omer is a tenth part of an ephah. See, throughout the story of the Exodus, the Lord would give his people something like memory aids to remember all that God has done. God instituted the Passover so that they would remember their atonement. God instituted the Feast of Unleavened Bread so that they would remember their deliverance. God instituted the consecration of the firstborn so that they would remember their adoption. And here God commanded his people to keep a jar of manna, set aside an omer, keep it in a jar, so that they would remember God's provision for their lives and how God would provide for them for the next 40 years in the wilderness. God's provision was sustaining. He, he didn't just provide for his people for a few weeks or even a few days or even just a few years. He took care of his people with the bread of angels for the next 40 years until they entered the land of Canaan. 40 years. Don't you see that even if you're walking through the wilderness and, and, the, and the journey ahead of you seems so long, may, maybe you're looking at your wilderness experience and you're seeing no end to the trials, you can take heart, Christian, knowing that God will take care of you the entire way. And God will provide for you everything that you truly need. How can you doubt this when the Lord has given you the bread of heaven? And listen, I'm not talking about some bread that falls from the sky or appears out of nowhere. If bread falls from the sky, just a word of advice, don't eat it. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about bread that temporarily sustains your physical life. What I am talking about is the true bread of heaven that gives you everlasting life. Come with me to John chapter 6 in your Bible. Listen carefully as I read from John chapter 6, verse 28. This is after Jesus feeds the 5,000. And then a crowd followed him, and they asked, in verse 28, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, 
This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then, then, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Can God provide a banquet in a barren land, in a broken and sinful world like ours? John tells us earlier in chapter 15, in this chapter that, that the people came to Jesus looking for more bread after he fed the 5,000. And instead of giving them bread to fill their stomachs, he offered himself as the bread of everlasting life. The Lord has given us the greatest provision of all through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the Father's supernatural provision. He is the Son of God. He came down from heaven and he took on flesh and blood. Jesus is the Father's sufficient provision. All you need is Jesus Christ. If you believe in his death and resurrection, that is sufficient enough to deal with your sins. Jesus is our true and ultimate Sabbath rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the Father's sustaining provision for our souls. Every spiritual blessing in heaven is ours in Christ Jesus. If God has given us his own son, his own son, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? All things. Jesus is the supernatural, sufficient, Sabbath, and sustaining provision forever and ever. So friends, this is what it means to eat from the bread of life. It means to put your trust in him. It means to turn away from your sins, acknowledge that it is wrong and that you have offended a holy God, and put your trust in the finished work of of Jesus Christ today and forever and ever. Oh, friends, don't despise the wilderness. I hope COVID comes to an end. But what if in the Lord's sovereign wisdom, he keeps us in this wilderness for the next 40 years? Will you grumble? Or will you be filled with gratitude knowing that God has a purpose for you? God will be present with you and God will provide for you every step of the way until we reach the gates of heaven and there we will feast in the house of Zion. Let's pray.